Welcome back, Bible readers. This is the Rooted Podcast, and today we're going to be working our way through the rest of the book of Nehemiah. <clears throat> Last week we uh, covered a few chapters in Ezra, the end of Ezra, and got into a couple of chapters in Nehemiah. This week we're going to start in Nehemiah chapter 4, and we're going to go through the rest of the book of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah 4 to 13, and that will finish out the month of uh the month of September. So last time, uh, Tim, we had gotten to chapter four, where we find that some enemies are beginning to oppose the rebuilding here of the wall. So chapter three talked about the wall, the different gates that they were putting together, uh, you know, trying to build the wall all together. And I think it's interesting, too, that, um, you know, they're building in 12 different places. It's not just one spot right. and you like like a pouring concrete, you know, you right. just go one spot and around. <laughs> They're starting with twelve different places and everything's coming up at one time. Which I think is an interesting way, like you like it's been said uh, last week about how they're so organized. Um, and you gotta be organized for God's people. But here are the enemies. So again, here's Sanbalt and Tobiah that show up again here, chapter four, verse one. Sanbalt was very angry when he learned that they were rebuilding the wall. He flew into um, my translation says he flew into a rage and mocked the Jews. Yes. Saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stone from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? And then Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall... Uh, he says that stone wall uh, would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. <laughs> and you know how delicate and how tiny. dainty and yeah. tiny uh, foxes' paws are, and how he's, you know, so he, obviously what they're saying is that this wall is going to fall down. It's not going to stand. It's weak. You know, again, they're beginning to slander, they're beginning to mock. In chapters four, five, and six, it's just one thing after the next that comes. And these are things that um, the enemy often uses to distract us from God's work. It's what is being used here to distract Nehemiah uh, and the people from rebuilding the wall. I mean, they have a big, big project. And nobody likes to be made fun of. Nobody likes to be mocked. And they were actually making fun of these feeble Jews. And so you and I as believers in Christ... People may make fun of us. People may mock us. Yeah. But we need to do just like Nehemiah, uh, full throttle, you know, <laughs> keep going on for the glory of God. Keep your eye on rebuilding the wall. Keep your heart in mind. Don't let anyone detract you, distract you from doing what God has called you to do as a believer. And, and it, in verse 6 of chapter 4, it says, At last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. Yes. That's what my translation says. Yes. So, you know, this mocking, obviously the people knew that it was part of life. It was part of what's going to happen when they do God's work, and yet they still worked with in some enthusiasm. So they try a different tactic. You know, it says um, in verse 8, they made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem. So there's some threat of war here. Yes. Um, so here's another uh, enemy, another dart that they're throwing, Sanballat and Tobiah. Gets the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard the work was going ahead. They were being repaired. They were furious. And so they made plans to threaten war. And so it says that Jerusalem and to throw us into confusion. Yes. Um, that's what the New King James says they wanted to create confusion. That's what that's the enemy good. loves to I do. Like if they can break our unity, 
that we have in Christ and cause that chaos and confusion. Oh, Sam Ballot and Tobiah, they're cheering, you know. Uh, and how many churches, so, you know, are thrown into confusion because right. of disunity and how easily right. uh, members can, can, can do things that cause that disunity. Absolutely. Um, it's amazing. We see that more times than what we would probably like to, like to acknowledge. And so they make plans. Of course, you know, in verse 10, they get a little discouraged and the people of Judah begin to complain. You know, the workers were getting tired and there's so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Here's another one. This is discouragement. Yep. There was all kinds of rubbish everywhere. Why? Because the walls had been burned, destroyed. The palace, the home, everything had been destroyed in Jerusalem. It's, so they had to clear. You have to clear out the rubbish before you can rebuild. And can you imagine how much work it was to carry out the rubbish? I mean, this is garbage. This place was devastated. Yeah. You know, I remember um, when I was uh, making uh, my garden at my house and have a, like a 40 by 40. It's all fenced in. But I decided it's got a lot of raised beds in it. And I decided that I wanted to put rock you know, down through, there's another buzzer beeping somewhere. Um, but I wanted to put rock all in the garden, uh, you know, as instead of, um, you know, pulling out all the weeds and stuff. Yep. I didn't want to do all that. Yep. So I just put all the rock down. But I, so I had a guy come from the uh, rock company down the road and he dropped, I needed 10 tons of pea gravel. Wow. And so he dropped 10 tons of pea gravel in my driveway. Um, and I remember going out thinking, <laughs> oh my, how am I ever going to, because I got to go down a hill. I've got to, I get a shovel and put it into wheelbarrows, and then I've got to go down the hill about 60, 70, 100 feet into the garden and dump each one. Well, I enlisted some help um, to help me because, man, after a few hours, my whole body was like in pain, <laughs> aching. Uh, and so I remember that. I remember thinking, oh, man, I'm so discouraged because there's no way I'm ever going to get this done. So when you see something like that, it's insurmountable. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're not going to get it done on your own. You've got to enlist the help of the Lord, enlist the help of others that's to right. come alongside you and help. Yeah, when you look at all the rubble that's there, oh, <laughs> can you imagine? And what that city would have looked yeah. like. And, and where do we even start? How do we even... Do we keep some things? Do we get rid of other things? I mean, I mean, there's so much, so much that's there. Yeah. Well, what else? What are some other enemies here? Um, let's see. Verses 11, I think, maybe down through the most, the rest of the chapter, there's just some general fear, fear that the enemies were going to come and attack them um, when they weren't ready. Said that they um, were going to kill them. They yeah. threatened them. Yeah. The enemy always uses fear. Yeah, and, and verse 21 says, We worked early and late from sunrise to sunset, and half the men were always on guard. So you had half the men that were working, it seems like, and the other half were on guard protecting the people who were working. Think about that working environment. I mean, you'd think that when you go into your job and work, you don't have to be protected by someone else who's yeah. watching you like a security guard or someone. But in this case, they had to be. And I think it's... I think it's uh, Pretty amazing that they did this ten, ten times. They told them ten times. Mm. Uh, the threats just kept coming and intimidation, fear. The enemy always uses intimidation to to slow us down. Just just a little bit of fear can really paralyze you, you know. And yeah. so we see that often in in Christian life and in the church life, and that. It's easy to be distracted from building the wall and doing the th things that God wants us to do. Yeah. 
but we have to stay on mission. That's the bigger, you know, that's the bigger picture, isn't it, Pastor? It's so hard to stay focused on the big picture because you have all these little sand ballots and tobias biting at your heels like those little (laughs) chihuahuas, you know, to to get you off mission. Threats, accusations. It is true. And and the other thing, though, that you have to pay attention to, all these things have been kind of on the outside. In chapter 5, the opposition comes from the inside, from selfishness, from the people themselves. The people themselves, it says in verse, well, verse 1 of chapter 5, about this time some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against the fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families, we need more food to survive. Others say, we've mortgaged our fields, our vineyards, our homes, get food during the families. And, you know, Nehemiah is frustrated, he's upset, because really the people are being selfish. And they're saying, we have to do all this stuff to build the wall? And Nehemiah's like, well, isn't the wall important to you? Isn't the protection of your city, of your people, Jerusalem, important to you? You know, and and obviously it, it must not have been that important because they wouldn't have complained about it. <laughs> and um, Nehemiah says, listen, I've done all this work too. You know, I've devoted my, you know, I've given this and I've given this and I've given this. And I haven't asked any questions or wanted anything in return from it. Saying I've done all of this. So again, you have things that come from the inside and you have things that come from the outside, distractions yeah. from verse, the inside. Verse 7 says he, he gave serious thought about this. And then he said, I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said to them, each of you is exacting usury from his brother. They were charging interest from their own brothers, selling their own people into slavery. Yeah. Uh, just to make, just for a buck. It's I amazing know. what we'll I do know. for a buck, you know? <laughs> It used to be pretty easy. You could you could you could uh, ask a child, say, "Hey, do this for me. I'll give you a few bucks or a quarter or something." <laughs> Not anymore. You ask somebody for this, they're like, "I want ten bucks for this or 20. I'm like, "Whoa!" Even the tooth fairy, you know. <laughs> Inflation is what it is. Inflation has gone way way up. Well, we know that um, you know distractions come any kind of way. They come from inside. They come from without. Um, Chapter 6, verse 1, again, Sambalat, Tobiah, Gershom, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that we had finished the building of the wall and that no gaps remained, that we had not set up the doors and the gates. So they, again, asked me to meet them. Again, so now they're going to try to pull away Nehemiah from doing his work, and this is what it says. But I realized that they were plotting to harm me, verse 2, mm-hmm. verse 3. So I replied by sending this message to them, I am engaged in a great work. I can't come. Why should I stop working and come and meet with you? And four times they did the same thing. Again, they're trying to pull Nehemiah away from the work. If they get, if we can pull away the leader, then maybe the rest of the work will stop. Yes. Um, and they hadn't put up the gates yet, so the wall was finished, but then you have these 12 big holes in the wall <laughs> that are meant to put the gates in there, and they hadn't set those in place yet. Um, and so they're trying to pull him away. Then they draft a letter and try to slander Nehemiah. There's a rumor, you know, verse 6, and it was said there's a rumor among surrounding nations. It tells me that it's true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel and that this is why you're building the wall. You know, so there's some intrigue. There's some rebellion, or not rebellion, but there's some uh, slander here. Some um, good, juicy gossip. <laughs> you're trying to be the king of Judah. You know, you got yeah, your own prophet. Exactly. <laughs> And I'm sure there's lots of miscommunication and misinformation here. They're trying to push. Um, and again, you know, opposition comes when you're doing God's work. And as I've said before, it's almost as if opposition is a litmus test as to whether or not you're actually doing God's work. 
because the more you're doing for God, it seems the more you're going to be opposed for it. Now, that's not always the case because you can be doing a great work for God and He can be protecting you all along the way while you're doing it. But it seems like, at least in this context here in Nehemiah, that opposition means they're actually doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, I love Nehemiah's response in verse 8. Yeah. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. <laughs> yep. I like how that says it. Mine just says you're making up the whole thing. <laughs> they were trying to, just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work so I could continue the work with even greater determination. Amen. Nehemiah says, no, no, you're not going to stop me. In fact, I'm going you know, to push up my level of work even greater. And you get to the very uh, verse 15, it says, So on October 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. Now, 52 days being constantly assaulted by the enemy, they finished the wall. Not 52 days with no distractions. This is 52 days with being constantly assaulted by the enemy. They could have probably done it quicker if the enemy hadn't been distracting them, hadn't been assaulting them all this time. And yet, remember from the book of Ezra, the temple laid in ruins for 16 years before they began to rebuild. They laid the foundations. They got distracted. The temple laid in ruins for 16 years. But yet here, in the case of Nehemiah, the walls were built, and they were built quick. Yes. And, of course, I think there's a quickness necessary for that because you want to protect defend your city the people. Yes. Uh, from the enemy. A fortress, yes. Well, you know, building of the wall in Nehemiah, that's kind of the midpoint. That's kind of like halfway through. That's kind of like half the battle because there's more battles to face. And it says in chapter 7, after the wall was finished, I'd set up the doors and the gates, the gatekeepers, the singers, the Levites were appointed. I gave the response. Nehemiah registers the people. And, and the rest of chapter 7, you got all these registry of things. Um, and then there's the other return, because if you look at chapter 7, verse 66, so a total of about 42,360 people returned to Judah, in addition to the 7,330 servants and singers and men. Again, more return. Of course, he's, he's going through the list, the total list of those who had returned. And he's obviously from that list pulling some things from Ezra chapter 2 about those people. It's kind of adding it all together. So he's kind of making, um, now that the wall is finished and also the temple has already been finished, those two things, he's going back through and, and, and kind of um, going back through the registry and saying, okay, all these people have come back. Okay, It's kind of like now that the wall is built, now we can kind of reestablish the city the way it's supposed to. And that's when our friend Ezra comes back into light in chapter 8, and Ezra shows back up. Reinstate some, some worship principles. Yeah, yeah. And so again, interestingly enough, you know, Nehemiah, he's responsible for the civil project. Again, he's just a common, everyday fella um, that has a high government position. Now when it's time to reform some of the um, religious aspects, they hand the baton over to Ezra. Um, because Ezra leads the wall. Uh, chapter 8, verse 1, in Nehemiah in October, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled with a unified purpose to the water gate. They asked Ezra to bring out the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to us for Israel to obey. And I like how it says, because this reminds me of a preacher, doesn't it? It says he has a wooden platform yeah. <laughs> on, in, in verse 4 of chapter yes. 8 for him to stand on. And he stands up, and it's the Levites 
actually in verse 7, I believe, it says, They stood up and they instructed the people in the law while everyone remained in their place. They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each Passage. That's a pretty good way to preach today. Isn't it is, it? Yeah, it's a really good <laughs> to way to explain. preach today. And so these Levites, you think about the Levites that were scattered all over the land. Uh, in the book of Joshua, it tells us there were 48 Levitical cities scattered all over the land. So God wanted his, his, his knowledge of the, the law and what the law said, how to follow it, how to explain it. He wanted it scattered all over the land uh, via these Levites. And so the Levites yeah. here are actually doing what they're supposed to be That's doing. right. That's right. So if you had a question about something in the law, guess what? You could go to a Levitical town. And, and most of the time, because they were spread out in the land, it was close by. It wasn't something where you had to travel uh, you know, months to get to. Um, they were scattered out so that the people knew how to obey the Word of God. Amen. Um, just like you know, in the same way, now it's not necessarily the same way, but in a similar way, you, know, you come to a church service, uh, you go to a Bible study group and you're instructed in what God's Word says. Obviously, we want you to read God's Word for yourself. We want you to um, understand God's Word uh, because there's only so much time you have on a Sunday morning. You know, there's only an hour or so to, to talk about a specific passage. Right. But you've got all week right. uh, to study God's Word. You've got, you know, lots of time every day to get in and dig in deeper to God's Word. And, and, and so that's important. But it's interesting here. The Levites are actually functioning the way they're supposed to. They're supposed to help in the temple, but here they're also given an opportunity to help explain the law to the people. But there's more. Yeah, and the New King James says that uh, they read distinctively from the book and the law of God, and mm-hmm. they gave the sense. Yeah, I like know, that. They gave the uh, sense of it. And helped them to understand the reading. Yeah. And that's that's so important that, you know, that's just a great form of teaching what the Bible says. For instance, yesterday, what was the title of your ten sermon? Your ten, your ten point sermon. Yes, what yes. What was the title um, of it? Resting in God's okay. sovereignty. And you just simply went through the scriptures, yeah, yeah. and gave us the meaning of those scriptures. And your outline came from the Bible. Yeah. You were pre- You didn't write a wow. sermon and then go find came, some verses. My outline came from the Bible? <laughs> yeah. Wow, can you imagine that? <laughs> and you gave the meaning of the Scripture. Yeah. And anytime you use the Word and you study the Word and learn the Word yes. and preach and teach the Word, yes. everybody's going to benefit. If you're in the Word and, and you're reading this Rooted Plan uh, from the Rooted Podcast, then the word will will get in you. You're going to sense and understand the meaning. In verse number nine, it says that now this cupbearer Nehemiah, he God providentially gives him a little promotion. Yeah, he, he becomes the governor. Yep, uh, the scripture says, and Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites, who taught the people and said to all the people. This day is holy to you, you know, to the Lord your God. So he said, don't, don't weep. Yeah, This is yeah. a special day of joy. And, and I like how like halfway through chapter 8, it says in verse 13, it says, The family leaders of all the people, together with the priests and the Levites, met with Ezra the scribe to go over the law in greater detail. Yes. I think that's interesting, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost like they're having a, a, a meeting of group leaders, yeah. aren't they? <laughs> Where, let's go over it in more detail, because when they look at it and read it in more detail, they find, oh, man, we really have not been following God's law. Mm-hmm. And, and these are the family leaders and the people together with the priests. So these are like the heads of the families. So these are the ones that if you get to them, 
if you affect them, you can affect the whole nation because collectively they can also make sure their families are following God's law. Yes. Um, yes. And so there's a reason to it. There's a very yeah. smart reason to it. And so, you know, they realize they haven't been doing the things they're supposed to be doing. And so in chapter 9, you know, at the end of the month, by the end of the month, October, mine says on October 31st, not Halloween, <laughs> on October 31st, it says the people assembled again. This time they fasted and dressed in burlap and sprinkled dust on their head. That those of Israel's descendants separated themselves from all foreigners and confessed their own sins and the sins of the ancestors. And there's the great long prayer that's in there, yep. the great confession. Again, going back, history. You know, this is what God has done for us, and this is what He has done. Talks about the Red Sea and the land and Pharaoh and and the Exodus and Mount Sinai. And it goes through the whole history, the summary of the history, summary of the history of what we have been given and how God has provided and how we really messed up. It's kind of what what was been said. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off on uh, chapter 9. There's something no, you had no, something to say? No, that was good. I see you have a no. lot of notes there on chapter, no, uh, <laughs> chapter 9. You, when you look at the history of Israel, yeah. he, he always seems to reiterate the king of Sion. Yeah, you notice that? The, the king Bashan. of Heshbon, yeah. Og, Basham, Bash, Bashan. Uh, yep. Those two names, and it's repeated all the way through the Old Testament. Yeah, those were two yeah. two well-known two kings. Two well-known kings on yeah. What was it? This side of uh, yeah, the other side of the uh, river, right. Jordan River, um, where the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, Manasseh half the half tribe the of tribe. Manasseh, yeah, they took their Reuben, inheritance. Ephraim, yeah. Reuben, yeah, Ephraim, and half the tribe of Manasseh. So it's interesting to read those prayers because those prayers always have like some kind of history to them. They always have some kind of history attached to them, and, and I think that's interesting. Um, because that's how we remember, you know, God's work on our past by looking back into history, remembering what God did for us, what we should have done, remembering um, why we did what we did, maybe not the best way. But as they finish this, all the people together in verse 38 of chapter 9, it says, the people responded in view of all this, we're making a solemn promise and putting it into writing on the sealed document uh, and the names of our leaders and Levites and priests. So they wanted to make sure it was written down, that it was noted in the text, like written down, so that they could go back to it and be accountable for it. Amen. And it says they was ratified, and it lists the names there as you go into chapter 10. It lists the names of all the breath, of all the people, and they ratified the document saying, yes, we will abide by this. Um, and the rest of the people, they come in, verse 28, they say the same thing. All who have separated themselves from the pagan people, we will do this. We will, And they make their own, another, again, from verse 30 of chapter 10 down through to the end of chapter 10. Again, there's another um, a vow from the people, and the people uh, say this, and they say, we will follow the law. We will follow the law. But Nehemiah's not done because there's still a few little sins he has to point out, doesn't he? Got to weed those out. You got to weed those out. Um, so... And by the way, I highlighted in chapter 11, verse 2, um, because I think this is interesting. Um, it says, The leaders of the people that were living in Jerusalem, verse 1, the holy city, a tenth of the people from the other towns of Judah and Benjamin were chosen by sacred lots to live there too, while the rest stayed where they were. And the people commanded, or commended, I should say, everyone who volunteered to resettle in Jerusalem. So it's almost as if the people didn't want to go back to Jerusalem. They wanted to settle in the lands around them. Why would they want to do that? Because then they're just going to get mixed up with the foreign gods and the idolatry in the They've in the been in Babylonian captivity 70 years, and yeah. they, they, they really got 
entrenched in the Babylonian culture. Yeah, they did, didn't um, they? So it's hard to come out of that. And and, and, that's why Ezra, or who was, was it, Ezra, pulling his hair out? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> and their names are listed here, too. So for good things, you know, it's listed here in verse, um, let's see, in verse 6, 5 or 6, down through the rest of chapter 11, where it lists the names of those who actually came back and wanted to settle in Jerusalem. So again, their names are written down here for accuracy as well, and also to show that, you know, they're the ones that, uh, actually are following what God said. He wanted his people to live in Jerusalem. Um, and it says the, um, Absolutely. also some of the other ones as well uh, listed here in the end of chapter um, chapter 11. Um, and again, a list of priests in chapter 12. Here's a list of priests and Levites who returned um, as well as, as another list. And so towards the end here, uh, you know, all these lists and names were written down here for accountability's sake, yeah. to know that um, they're being held accountable. They put their names on documents and say, we're going to follow the law. You know, these are the ones that are coming back to Jerusalem. You know, you look through Nehemiah and all that he's doing. There are lots of people who are only serving God half-heartedly mm-hmm. and are not giving their full commitment to God. And how much of that is true today? Man, yes. You have some families who come back and, yeah, okay, we'll settle in the land. And you have some families, well, we'll settle in land and we'll go to Jerusalem. Well, we'll settle in land and go to Jerusalem and follow the law. You know, it's the difference between, I guess, an Orthodox Jew and a, and a liberal uh, Jew, you <laughs> I'll go say. partway, halfway, then you got those who go all the way. Yeah, and it just goes to show you that, that, that the world is full of people yep. who, who, who um, are not fully committed. Um, chapter 13, uh, you can read that on your own. That's just the, some various reforms of Nehemiah. Some other things he saw that needed to be fixed. <coughs> Excuse me. And those other things were pretty, pretty important. The Levites were having problems. Um, they were, and we'll, we'll, we'll conclude because our time is gone. This is the last one, chapter 13, verse 15. In those days I saw men of Judah treading out the winepress on the Sabbath. Wasn't that something that oh, Jesus boy. in the New Testament had a hard time with <laughs> how he called out people for for that, or maybe how they called him out for that <laughs> healing on the Sabbath. That became a big thing. And by the way, here's where um, I believe it's where it's traced to. Um, at least it's said specifically. Um, Nehemiah gets upset at that. Oh, he gets upset wow. at the Sabbath, and so what he does. Lock the doors. <laughs> uh huh. Verse 19 of chapter 13 says, "Then I command the gates of Jerusalem should be shut as darkness fell every Friday evening, and not to be opened until the Sabbath ended." And he says, "I sent some of my own servants to guard the gates, that no merchandise could be brought in on the Sabbath." Um, and it talks about that. So obviously, the Sabbath we know began back, you know, when they got into the land back in the days of Joshua and they began to observe it. But here is specifically listed for us. So again, he's following the laws that God has commanded um, and, and making sure that the Sabbath and all these different things here are given out uh, and, and are followed. And the last verse of the whole book, it says, verse 30, So I purged out everything foreign and assigned tasks to the priests and Levites, making certain that each knew his work. I also made sure that the supply of wood for the altar and the first portions of the harvest were brought at the proper times. And then Nehemiah says this, he says, Remember this in my favor, yes. O God. Those little bullet prayers. Remember this in my favor. Remember this when it's time for my judgment that I have done all of this and I have helped. And I guarantee God remembers it. But the thing about Nehemiah, and I've said it before as you go through, yeah, there's a lot of prayer in here, but what's sad is the response of the people. It's sad that some people, um, even though God 
you know, brought out the welcome mat for them. They didn't want to follow all the way to the end. I mean, who doesn't want to walk all the way to the end of the red carpet, mm -hmm. you know? Right. It's like walking halfway on the red carpet <laughs> then stopping. Nobody wants to do that. You should walk all the way to the end. But yet, when they were to enter the promised land during the days of Joshua, there are some tribes who were like, no, we don't want to enter. We want to stay on the outside. Or when they get into the land, no, we don't want to push away everybody. You know, and, and that has so much connection to the struggle that many churches face today with yes. committed believers. Yes. Um, and ones who are using or finding excuses not to serve God fully and completely. And um, so that's my encouragement as you get through the book of Nehemiah and uh, as you read through the book of Nehemiah, I know all those names and all those things can kind of <laughs> take a while to read through. <laughs> and uh, sometimes you've got to read fast <laughs> through those sections, but understand they're there for a reason and for a purpose. And uh, so they're listed in history, these ones who were faithful and ones who were not faithful, um, which is pretty, pretty harsh Incredible. of a commandment. Yeah. 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 Nehemiah is a good book. It's about prayer. Some people take it about leadership as well, which I think there's some good things about that. Um, but be careful you don't take it out of context. That's all the time we have for this week for Nehemiah. That concludes what we've talked about through Ezra, Esther, and Nehemiah, the return and kind of reestablishing the people in the land. And you can see how over three returns, things started out really well uh, with the return. And God was providing everything for them. But as slowly the people got back to the land, they started to fall back into the practices that got them into the exile in the first place. Um, and so uh, by Nehemiah and others, they're trying to lead the people back into reform and getting back on track. And they eventually do, and, and, and they still struggle, even today, um, as we struggle. So that concludes Ezra, Esther, Nehemiah. That concludes our session for today. If you have any questions, send them to Bible reading at lmbc.org. And we will see you all next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>